Radio Mano Papachango. Episode of Tangentially Speaking, prepared for you, handcrafted in Topanga Canyon, California. Uh, this is with uh, Sarah Larson, who has become a friend at this point, but I recorded this uh, probably six weeks ago uh, when we had just met, and uh, I'd sort of heard a little bit of her story, and I wanted to hear more, and I thought, why not? see if she'll tell me her story and tell you her story at the same time. So that's what happened. <clears throat> she was born in Utah, as you'll hear, and raised in the Mormon faith. But uh, whether because she's got some sort of interesting genetic uh, configuration or maybe it's the star she was born under or the water she drank or was there some genetic... Uh, latency that sprung to life in her whatever it is she's a free thinker and has always been a free thinker and critical thinker and so she was being raised in this world of belief um and she was she believed it but she was thinking about it and so we'll hear her explain the sorts of moments that that led to in her life and the transitions and the journeys and oh my God, serious journeys, you'll, as you'll hear. I mean, the first part we talk about the journey from Mormonism uh, to uh, agnosticism or a sort of personal belief system that, that Sarah has now. But uh, then the second part of the conversation, we get into physical journeys, uh, Australia and Asia and some of her adventures on the road. Um, and there were many, and some of them were kind of harrowing, actually. I just re-listened re to parts of the conversation now to remind myself of what it was like, and I couldn't stop listening. Some of her stories are really amazing. Anyway, so this is Sarah Larson. And uh, she doesn't, uh, she's not selling anything. She doesn't have a book coming out or a movie or um, any kind of um, desire for attention. She's just sharing her story. Um, Sarah does have uh, an Instagram page if you'd like to check out some of her photography, which is truly extraordinary, I have to say. Uh, her Instagram handle is travelsaz, Z-A-Z-Z, travelsaz. And she has a, a website, existentialtravel.com, where you can see some of her other work, photography, and she also does uh, painting and other visual arts. So this is uh, Sarah Larson. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's uh, Tuesday the 30th of May, I'm going to post this right away because I'm running a little behind, but I figure it was a holiday weekend, so I can get away with it. This uh, Memorial Day weekend always reminds me of my adventure in Alaska when I was in prison for four days. That was over Memorial Day weekend, 1983, which was a fuck of a long time ago. Jeez. 
anyway, uh, I'm t- totally um, rehabilitated. My life of crime is over. I'm glad to say. I did a podcast yesterday with a guy named Kaj Larson, also a Larson, two Larsons. Interesting. Um, Navy SEAL uh, journalist. He, he's on screen uh, journalist for Vice. Guy's been in like, you know, he's been waterboarded. He was the first journalist to ever be waterboarded. He's um, a very interesting guy. Wonderful guy, actually. Um, we're going to go to Costa Rica together pretty soon. So I'll be getting to know him better. But we uh, did a podcast yesterday. That'll be coming out uh, probably five, six weeks from now. But those of you who um, support the podcast on Patreon, I just posted the video of that podcast. So you can watch that now ahead of time. And for the rest of you, the audio will be coming out, um, you know, in alignment with uh, the other ones that are already in the in the pipeline. Um but I just thought I would release that in honor of Memorial Day since we talked a lot about the armed forces and American foreign policy and violence and peace and, you know, when violence is is the only option and if it's ever the only option. Interestingly, Kaj comes from a, a, a very interesting background. His mother's a hardcore pacifist. So interesting that her... Little boy grew up to become a Navy SEAL and sneak into Nigeria to uh, report on the Boko Haram movement. And, you know, he served in Afghanistan and uh, all over the world, Cambodia, Colombia. Very interesting cat. Anyway, that's coming coming in a few weeks uh, for those of you who are on the audio only version of the podcast. I'm not going to yammer on anymore. I've uh, I'm packing because tomorrow I'm taking the van up to uh, into the Sierra Nevadas near Yosemite, not Yosemite Valley, because that's going to be full of tourists, but uh, another valley near there. I'm going up there with some friends. So I'm going to click some buttons and throw this up on the internet and wish you well. And I will catch you a week from now when hopefully my voice will be back to normal and I'll be well rested after sleeping in the van in the mountains for a few nights. I hope everything's going great for you in your world and uh, really appreciate your support in whatever way it manifests. This song is called Another Day and it's by a friend of the podcast, uh, Joel Havea and the Joel Havea Trio. It's from uh, their album, Mm, what is their album called? Uh, Setting Sail, maybe? Uh, yeah, from Setting Sail. So this is Joel Havea, and you can uh, check him out at joelhavea.com. H-A-V-E-A. All right, take care, everybody. Have we reached that point in time? One of us has to decide Are we driving in the darkness To ignore the turn off right before our eyes Though we got different points of view I only want the best for you 
But before we turn the lights on Promise me you'll stop and ask me to This far I know But even so The question is If our past will Still remain together As we drinking green tea with Sarah Larson surrounded by green leaves and green grass and it's just fucking Amazing. amazingly green out here it's, it was a big a good year for rain in uh, Topanga so everything's really nice and green right now it'll be brown before long 
Um, Sarah Larson, welcome. Thank you. To my little Topanga hovel. It's lovely. I like it. So you and I met, what, three nights ago? Four nights ago? Yeah, just over the weekend. Yeah. It's one of those serendipitous podcast meetings where uh, our mutual friend Casey reached out because she was flying back from the Philippines and she listens to the podcast and um hi casey hi casey yeah i guess she'll <laughs> listen to this one for sure yeah, huh? i'm sure she will and uh so her friend uh garrett had contacted me a year ago a year and a half ago or something and mentioned that he'd been doing some backcountry guiding in Utah and I guess he heard me talking about how much I loved Utah and you know Cassie and I had been down to Moab and so he was like dude you should come through and you know we'll do it I'll take you back there and you know what was it Coyote Gulch Coyote I think Gulch, yeah. I didn't and even know that he had invited you on that yeah and he said I've got all these great friends down here and you know we'll like we can take care of everything you'll just you, you just show up and you know we'll do the food and the tents and everything and uh, so anyway, he and I corresponded, and uh, and so Casey knew me through the podcast and through him and all that. Anyway, this is a long, a long explanation of. So anyway, yeah. So Casey came through. She and I had lunch, and then she said, "Oh, my friend Sarah is free. I thought she was going to be working all night. Can she come over?" And then you came over, and we ended up drinking lots of wine and. <laughs> laughing a lot and you told me some interesting stories that i thought oh let's get this chick on the podcast i was like what yeah <laughs> i guess so so i mean mainly i guess the you know the thing that jumped out at me was your like how your life has changed so much from your childhood to your how old are you now i'm 28 you're 28, and around 20, your life just pivoted. Uh, yeah, very much so. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm <laughs> understating it here, but so where were you born? I was born in Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City, okay. And and your family was totally Mormon. You're from yep, a Mormon land. A line of Mormons. Were your grandparents Mormon? Yeah, on my dad's side. Uh huh. Mormon down the line. Right. Down the line, like to the 1800s? Apparently we had some ancestors go across the plains as pioneers. Really? Yep. Like, that's the equivalent of, like, a rich white person having ancestors on the Mayflower. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like Mormon elite, if you can trace your lineage back. So and when was Mormonism founded? Like, mid-1800s, oh, 1860, something like that? It used to be passcode. <laughs> oh, right, your PIN number? Yeah. Yeah, like my parents setting it to try to get that instilled in me. Well, I know it was 18 something. 18, mid-1800s, because it was, uh, I mean, the wagon trains, early wagon trains, yeah. and uh, there was a large community, and they got to Salt Lake, and they just said, okay, this is it. Or maybe they settled somewhere before that, and they got forced out or something. Yeah, they were in New York, and went to Missouri and Missouri. set up shop there and they got into some kind of like political unrest and mm. some like burning of buildings and I don't know and they right. got they got shoot out 
right. who were wanted, so they went across the plains. I was reading, just the other night, I was reading this um, review of a bunch of books that have come out recently about utopian movements uh, in the mid-19th century in the United States. Apparently there were over a hundred of them. Wow. Uh, like some that people have, may have heard of are the Oneida Colony. Um, they ended up making uh, um, China. Like Oneida Crystal, Oneida China is all made. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, they made China the country? <laughs> Not the country. Uh, Brook Farm. Um, uh, there were a bunch of them in, in, in the Northeast, like people trying to sort of create a better world for themselves. Of course, the Amish, you know, are another example. Um, but I guess the Mormons were different in the sense that they, they it's a religion. They, mm -hmm. There was a revealed truth. Yeah. To, um, yeah, they, what was his name? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, right. They believe that he spoke to God. Right. Um, an angel told him there's some golden plates hidden. I mean, it's kind of a fun story, like, thinking about it. Um, there's golden plates hidden that have an ancient book that was left by followers of Jesus in the Americas. So it's like Bible times two or, like, Right. Continued. Like, and and American <laughs> Indians were involved somehow. Yeah, yeah. They believed that American Indians were the lost tribes of Israel. Oh, or right. descendants of. Yep. Right. And that Jesus, when he died, he came to them to teach to them. Yeah. Before going up to heaven. And he established his church and it got, I don't know, dissipated. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> sort Joseph of. Smith is the one who dug it up. He Rocks dug up the that. tablets, supposedly, yeah. Yeah, but nobody's cool. ever seen the tablets. No, right? that's yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think South Park did an episode yeah. on that, too. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Have you seen the Book of Mormon? No, it keeps no. eluding me. Yeah. I want to see it so bad. Uh, I haven't seen it either. Uh, from what I've heard, though, it's not really disrespectful of Mormonism. Yeah. I mean, it makes fun of it, but there's sort of a core respect, I, from what I've heard. But that's what Matt Stone and Trey Parker always do. They tend to, like, make fun of something a little bit, but not really. Hmm. Like, kind of in a sympathetic way. Hmm. And, I like, I appreciate that. It's way better than having like, a very negative approach. Yeah, they're, they're not particularly mean-spirited. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So, anyway, okay, you're born into this religious tradition. Your family's part of it your friends your mm -hmm. uh, the community you lived in my, was my whole reality your whole reality around it right like going to school we'd go to seminary on top of it like in the middle of a school day as if it was a normal class mm -hmm. um i guess like 95 percent of my classmates were mormon as well were you in a public school yeah but, so, it, but it was like you know like 95 percent. and the mormon. teachers also yeah probably i mean not all of them but was there religious instruction in the school yeah, it was separate, yeah. but it was all, like it was according to the school, like a free period. But it would be seminary. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow, ninety-five percent. I kind of just pulled that number out of my. Yeah, head. but so <laughs> what? Were, I knew a black Mormon. I think I mentioned to you that I knew a black Mormon. Yeah. How many, is that as rare as I think it is? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> they exist. I a good friend of mine. Um, grew up Mormon and he was black. He left though because there's a lot of sexism involved like not even that long ago in the history of the church. 
And racism. And I said sexism, but yeah. racism. Yeah, yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. But racism for sure. Like, I think it was just in the 70s, they wouldn't give black people the priesthood. Right. Which is kind of like a big deal. Yeah. And they blamed it on Cain. It's like, this is racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. What did Cain, was Cain black? Is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, they, they oh, say really? that the curse of Cain um, caused his skin to be dark. Oh, right. Nice. And here we are sitting in the sun trying to darken our skins. Yeah. I was actually thinking I might move to the shade. Yeah, it's pretty hot, isn't it? Yeah, the sun moved. Here, let's pause. All right, we've moved to the shade. Much better. Much better. So, okay, so you're you're in this reality. You're growing up in it. Uh, Obviously, the fact that we're here talking People know how the story ends. You, yeah, I left. You left. When did your, like, when did you first start having doubts about this this reality? Well, when I was 16, I had a few doubts, but then I went through, um, or I experienced a tragedy, which threw me back into it. You know, when you lose people in your life, someone close to you died. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so then it obviously made me cling to religion more, and I got really religious again and was such until I went to the temple and did the ceremony. Which ceremony is that? So Mormons um, have these buildings, they call temples, you've probably seen them around. There's the one in, uh, I think it's Burbank, mm-hmm. and then the one in San Diego is really beautiful. Oh, I have seen that one. It's by the, the highway, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that one's one of the prettiest ones, I think. But um, they have secret ceremonies in them. You can't go in it unless you're Mormon and you have to have like a pass, they call it a recommend, and you have to be worthy. And to be worthy, you have to do a bunch of different interviews. And when you're like a teenager, you can go to like certain rooms only to do what they call baptism for the dead. And then when you're over the age of 18, you can get um, your endowments is what they call it. And it's like, greater than baptism. Um, Mormons view it as like one of their most sacred, important rituals um, and practices. And typically, like, so you've probably met Mormon missionaries. Um, All those young kids have done that. So like young boys will go, now it's age 18, and they'll go get their endowments and then go on a two-year mission. And girls can do that, but they're encouraged more culturally like not outright, but it's definitely like a cultural pressure to get married. Instead of doing a mission? Yeah. Do, do, do girls ever do missions? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Sister missionaries, is what uh, they called. Right. <laughs> and were you thinking you were gonna do that? No, no, no. I, Why? I don't know. To me, it just like, it never resonated. Despite like, I wanted to travel, I knew that much. Mm. And I had thought about it as a means to travel, but you can't choose where you go. And I didn't want right. to end up in Ohio. So. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to our listeners in Ohio. Oh, sorry, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so close. I wanted yeah. to go somewhere exotic. That's it. It was because yeah. it was close. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Not because Ohio Ohio's sucks great. or anything. <laughs> no. They got mountains. <laughs> do they? I don't think they do. Yeah, they do. I've ridden around in them. Oh, in Ohio? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, no, not Ohio. I'm sorry. I'm thinking Idaho. Oh, Idaho. They have mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Idaho yeah, is Idaho. Great. What is 
What does Ohio have? Ohio, not much. I mean, I lived in Western Pennsylvania when I was a kid. We used to go to Ohio. There's a lot of industry now, probably, you know, former industry. So a lot of old empty factories, <laughs> polluted rivers. Good old Ohio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, there are nice parts of Ohio. I've just never been there. Dave Chappelle lives in Ohio. Really? Still? Yeah. Yeah. He decided to move. No, he's uh, he's got a, a farm in Ohio, and and actually he sort of grew up in Ohio because his I think it was his mother taught at um, what's the name of the college there? Is it Oberlin? Do you know Dave Chappelle? No, I don't oh, know okay. him personally. No, no, he's just a really interesting guy. His his mother and father were both um, prominent black academics, hmm. like super smart. You know, his mother, I think, founded the women's studies program at oh, wow. uh, at this very liberal college in Ohio. I forget the name of it right now. But um, so he grew up there as like the only black kid. Yeah. You know, you were it's talking Ohio. about 95 percent uh, <laughs> Mormon. He was like the one black kid in that yeah. in that I, area. I think I had like two black kids in my graduating class. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. three, I don't know. So now you're out here in the big bad world. So okay, you were so you didn't want to do the missionary thing. You no. knew that. I did the marriage thing. So you did the marriage. So you're you're sort of rolling along. You, you you know, it sounds like you were sort of feeling like you were drifting from the path of Mormonism in some sense, and then um, this, I just I had some question, like some deep philosophical question right and then your world got shaken yeah. and then you were like oh no get back to it yeah. like shelter and I found a lot of comfort in it I legitimately did it yeah was, it was good but yeah not for me later on right <laughs> so did your how did your sort of developing sexuality as a teenager affect any of this if um. at all <laughs> Wow, that's a question. Because I don't know, how do Mormons deal with sex? Like, is is masturbation cool? No, it's not. It's not no. for but anybody. No, they're very strict. I, I was a virgin on my wedding night. Kind of like, not many people could say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even true. Mormons, like. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a lot of so bullshit going on in Mormonism. Yeah. So you were actually a virgin on your wedding night. Mm -hmm. And do you recommend that to the no, women listening to this? That. You don't. Mm -mm. So it wasn't like your wedding night was this amazing... I, I had a good wedding night, but it wasn't... No, it was, I yeah. would recommend it. Was it, your husband a virgin? He claimed to be. Do you believe him? <laughs> I don't know. At this point, I don't know. Isn't it funny that we said, like, the, the ideal in, in many religions is for two people who know absolutely nothing mm -hmm. to go into this situation? I mean, <laughs> if we taught kids to drive the way we expect kids to learn about sex... Mm -hmm. It would be like, here, you're married, take the keys, go figure it out. There'd be a lot more deaths. There'd be a lot of deaths on the road, Crashes. yeah. Yeah, that's how it is in Mormonism. And I actually really resent that now. Hmm. And even my Mormon uh, brother, who's still religious, also is voiced not appreciating growing up with such a negative approach towards sex. Um, so sex is just for procreation? Um, no, and, and showing love towards your spouse. Oh, okay. But it should only be in that context only, and it's like they're very closed off about it. Like, um, I, I'm not gonna say names, of course, but um, someone related to my ex, like someone related to them, uh, had this story about 
their sister getting married and going five years without having sex mm. because it was so ingrained in her mind that it's an evil thing oh. that even when she was married, she like couldn't bring herself to do it. That's pretty intense. It's funny, you know, people outside the religion look at the, the polygamy aspect. Which doesn't really happen. Yeah. I mean, I guess there are breakaway sects that still practice it in some yeah. areas. Like everyone knows that FLDS, I don't know yeah. what they're calling themselves now, but yeah. down in Texas. Right. And the guy, did he get arrested, that guy? I think he did. Yeah, I forget his name. Um, yeah, but anyway, there, you know, people look at it from outside and, you know, oh, multiple wives. That's a lot of sex going on. <laughs> That's not probably not really. <laughs> That's not why Utah really. has the highest porn problem. Yeah, I read that recently. They have the highest uh, porn downloads. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so masturbation's not cool. So as you're sort of becoming a woman, is is that part of the conflict that there were things awakening in you? No, not for me. It was for more me, intellectual. Yeah, it was intellectual. Mm. I went through the ceremony, and it shook me and like I I was someone who truly like loved the religion I was like all for it I was excited I mean there's parts of me who were nervous obviously this is before you were married yeah right doing the the ceremony and the endowment and is this kind of like a um a coming of age thing like this is kind when a girl becomes of. a woman like, and it, it's not looked at in that way it's more of um when you are like mature enough and ready to take on this responsibility, uh-huh. uh, then then you can do it. Right. Does that make sense? So how old were you? I was twenty. Oh, uh, okay. Or nineteen. I think I was twenty. All right. Yeah. And I did it then, and it, it was just little things in the ceremony that got to me, and I had a panic attack. I'd never even had a panic attack before. Like in the middle of it, and I just like stopped and refused to go forward. Really? Yeah, and I had no idea it was happening. And um, for me, the big thing was I was told in seminary, uh, fears of the devil. And then I was also told growing up, the devil can't reside in the temple. And so when I found myself experiencing a fear I've never felt before in the temple, that got me really confused. And yeah. I was like, what's happening? And at the time, I figured, like, oh, God's testing me, let's continue forward. And so I did, and I went through with the rest of it. But it, it like haunted me for, for months, months and months. Um, I started losing sleep over it eventually at some point, like after I'd gotten married, because I felt something was wrong with me. So I, I was told my entire life, like, this is something beautiful and magical you should look forward to. And I finally get to do it. And I'm like, I feel like rejected by God in a sense. Mm. That's how I felt. And so I did like the usual praying and reading the scriptures, you know, everything a good Mormon girl is supposed to do. And it, nothing helped. And it was maybe like five months later and I couldn't fall asleep. And we'd been warned growing up too. Mormons get warned like careful with researching things, like mm. careful with Googling certain things. Did you have full internet access? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not Amish. Right, right. <laughs> like we weren't Amish. Um, but, you know, you're encouraged like, Beware of anti-Mormon literature uh, because it's the devil trying to trick you. So I had avoided it. But one night I had like a specific question. I'm like, I'm just going to Google it. And it was about like the history of the temple within Mm. the Mormon. I was like, I'm going to stick with just Mormon references and try to like, you know, stay on a good path where I could be trusting. And I stayed up for hours and it was like the middle of the night 
like reading and I come across an article written by a former um, temple worker, like an old guy who worked in the temple. And he answered my question and I went to bed and I slept like a rock. Do you remember what your question was? Yeah, it was, it was something trivial, like unless you're Mormon, you probably wouldn't understand it. But it was about the names. And when you go through, you're given a second name and you're told that that name is the name in heaven. And I was curious, like my husband wouldn't tell me his name and that bothered me. And I could tell him my name and you weren't supposed to ever speak it outside of the temple. Like they say, like, that's dangerous. Like you can become vulnerable from the, from Satan. Mm. And, um, so I was like, where did this name thing come from? And, you know, like, where do they pull the name from? Like, do they meditate on it? Do they know, like, does they get a voice from heaven telling Mm. me like, this is your name? I found out they just have a name for a day. So it's like every girl Uh, who went in on the day that I went in got my name. And then it goes into the logs and there's like, oh, so it's like not special at all. <laughs> right. It's, you know? Why, why wouldn't your husband tell you his? That was the rules. It's, you know, it's sexist. Oh, I see. Yeah. The women can tell the husband. Or do you, are women obliged to tell the husband? No, that, like they have to. They have to. Yeah. But it, the husband doesn't tell the woman. No. So it's a vulnerability yeah. that you need to show. Right. I got real bugged by that. <laughs> that it's power like, imbalance? Yeah. Uh, like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you, I can't know your name. Like, why? Like, we're supposed to be married and I can't know your heavenly name. Right. Huh. Like, he wouldn't even tell me in the temple where it's supposed to be safe to, to say it. So you got married shortly after your ceremony, it sounds like. Like, a couple days after. A couple days. Yeah. And is that how it normally happens? Yeah, for girls, oh, okay. pretty common. Oh, right. And how how did you? I mean, I, I'm going to sound really ignorant here, but mm-hmm. like, did you marry your husband? This man, like, what was dating like, and or how did you decide to marry him, or was it sort of semi-arranged? No, or? it wasn't semi-arranged. No, I met him right out of high school. Um, we met rock climbing. We had a mutual appreciation for that. And I just fell head over heels for him. Hmm. Became, you know, first love, obsessed with him. Uh, and, you know, we had off and on moments, but... Did you want to have sex before you got married? Well, of course, like, there were moments. <laughs> but it, it wasn't a driving factor for me. I've met, I've met a lot of Mormons where, like, they rush... Because getting married quickly is very common. Mm-hmm. I, I have friends who got married after four months of meeting their husband. Right. Um, I, we waited a little while. But, yeah, not, it, it wasn't, like, sex has never really been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, I'm like, is that just me? Or is it because of the conditioning I grew up with? I'm unsure. Hmm. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have a lot of dreams? Oh, yeah. You remember vivid, them? Vivid dreams. Vivid, yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, because like, as you were describing the experience and the panic attack and, and the mental processes and all that, I got the impression that you're a person with a very, um, rich inner life Mm. that your conscious mind is probably not very aware of that you may have sort of developed this sort of almost like a. Like not a like a double personality in a way, mm-hmm. and where one part of you is 
moving in one direction and the other part of you was moving in another direction and then you, you there was this moment when the distance between them came too great and became really clear which was the moment when you were going through the ceremony yeah you know I wow it's crazy that you say that because I, I reckon that is pretty accurate mm. yeah I think, you know, most of us have, have that, you know, we have the inner life and the, but it didn't surprise me that you, your dreams are vivid and active because mm-hmm. like that part of you is really yeah. alive, I think. But like a, like an intuition. It, it's funny because I was listening to a song on the way up here actually, and I love this song. It's called Leaf Off Slash The Cave by Jose Gonzalez. Mm. And um, it, like it opens saying that, take the leaf off your mouth um and it's i can't remember the exact lyrics but it's basically like you you know so you can take that leaf off and you can speak like truth because you have the facts and for me like when i first heard that song like you know roman statues they put the leaf on because the catholic church is like cover up the Mm. the nuts you know it's inappropriate yeah (laughs) I don't know what the artist or the the singer was thinking when he wrote it, but to me, I was thinking like it's that same leaf, but over my mouth um, to kind of like that's what I grew up with, like right. censor like what you feel or think and say. Um, and then the song, I love it because it's saying like, you know, you know the facts now. So take that leaf off and. Don't be like scared to say it. You just did part of my job for me. <laughs> We're gonna pause and play "Leaf Off" slash "The Cave" by Jose Gonzalez. Cool. Thank you. 
I get like, this stuff is like, you know, means a lot for me. So sometimes I get like nervous talking well, th about it. Thanks for sharing it. I know it's really, it's very personal. Mm. You know, it's, it's really, it's difficult when you're born in one world that is meaningful and comforting and mm -hmm. gives you structure. And then yeah. at a certain moment in your life, you find you're just not there anymore. Yeah but a lot of people you love still are. Mm -hmm. right? Everyone I, I knew at the time, my family and friends, um, my whole social structure, uh, thought of reality. And like another, another point thinking of that song is it's called Slash the Cave. And I think of Plato's allegory of the cave. That's what I was thinking when you mentioned it. Yeah, I wonder if that was part of it, yeah. Yeah, so I was living in this world looking at the shadows on the cave. Yeah. Does everyone know that? Well, yeah, I mean, the idea, people can Google it, but essentially the idea is that what we think is reality is yeah. really just shadows cast on the, the wall of the cave by yeah. the fire, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you could be sitting there and think this is the entirety of the world, and really it's just your fire is casting shadows from people outside the cave walking around, and you think the shadows are like, what's reality? Yeah. That's kind of how the allegory goes and that's I really feel like that's what I had stepped out of um, and it's rough because a lot of ex-Mormons will have um, issues like younger about just obeying the rules you know like don't drink you can't smoke you can't even drink green tea oh really yeah as we're enjoying it now right <laughs> um, it's one of the most innocent things I can think <laughs> no, of <laughs> it's super healthy it doesn't make any sense but a lot of like youth will leave just out of convenience, or it's not convenient, but I loved it. Mm. And it was hard. 
Like I had these months um, where I just kept researching and researching and learning. Yeah. And I had started out learning some things that would bother me about like the doctrine and then I would try to disprove them because yeah. I would get I'd get angry. I'd read these things and be like, no, no this can't be true. Yeah. Like they must be missing something. Yeah. And so I would try to disprove it and then I would learn more and more and more and uh, like it piled up where I was just absolutely distraught. Um, writing my dad <laughs> and other friends back and forth, like arguing about things, you know, read, reading Hugh Nibley, which is a Mormon apologist and, you know, just listening to all the, the jabber of the religion, the, the excuses. Yeah. And that's what it kind of came down to is like, it kept sounding like excuses over and over and over again. Mm. And I, you know, I was faced with this situation where everyone I loved believed this and wanted me to believe it, but like deep in my heart and also like intellectually, I'm like, this isn't making sense. And, um, why was it important for you that it makes sense? I, I've always appreciated truth and I, I felt like I had been lied to, but, you know, and when I tried to, you know, get to the, the bottom of things t to have like more, more lies or more confusion, you know, I, I'm someone who's always been fairly happy and to have like this disharmony with reality, I don't know, I could. I can't live with that. Hmm. I've talked to some people who've come across similar questions in the religion and they choose to ignore them and carry on. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can do that. And it's funny because it's not a question of intelligence necessarily. No, it's definitely not. I know some really intelligent people who believe absolutely ridiculous things mm -hmm. because they were raised that way. Yeah. And they just get to a point where they're like, it's easier. It's easier or, or, you know, you mentioned the comfort mm -hmm. of it, you know, that it's fucking scary to walk away from a belief system that because your brain sort of forms around it in a way, too, you know, and then by the time you're old enough to think critically, your brain's already formed. Yeah. I remember reading somewhere, some, I think it was a former Christian said that uh, he'd left the church, but that he would always have a God-shaped hole in his consciousness. Yeah. You know, because it's too late to fill in that missing space. It's, mm -hmm. there's gonna be that empty spot now. Yeah. Do you feel that in yourself? I feel like I've, I've filled it sufficiently. Like what did you fill it with? My own personal collections of beliefs. And, uh, you know, right out of it, I had, real bad negative opinion of religion for a while. I think, yeah, I told you this before, mm. where I was reading like Hitchens God delu delusion. Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, religion's evil. Right. It's horrible. Right. Like it ruins the world. And did you have that kind of anger toward it? I did for a while. Yeah. And I, you know, I was aware of it too, but I was like, I'm justified. <laughs> did you consider any other religions? Were you like, no. oh, this is bullshit, but maybe Judaism like, works? Right out of the, you know, the ring, I was like, nope. Yeah. If this isn't it, then it can't be any other. Huh. That was kind of my view. Because, uh. um, you know, within my research of Mormonism, it also led me into research of the Bible and, mm. like, where did the Bible come from? Like, I, stud I studied anthropology. Right. And so I had enough, like, basis of understanding, like, a scientific, like, approach to right. history and... And multiculturalism. And multicultural yep, exactly. Yeah. So 
I was like, I don't know. Don't know if I could trust that one either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to stray too far from the sort of chronological thing because okay. the, the way it went down for you is interesting. So you have this, this crisis of, you know, whether we want to call it a panic attack or yeah. a crisis of consciousness or whatever, which is interesting because the ceremony that you were participating in if, if I'm understanding correctly, is a ceremony, like you said it was a marking maturity, you're, you're mature enough to actually... To, ha to handle the truth. To handle know? the truth. Yeah. And in fact, from where we're sitting today, <laughs> what happened to you was that you were confronted with the truth. Yeah. It wasn't the truth that most people find there, it I was, guess. It wasn't the truth my parents wanted me to find. <laughs> it wasn't the truth anyone wanted you to find. Yeah. But it was the truth. It, I mean, to you now, as yeah. best you know, it was the truth, yes, right? definitely. Yeah. So. As far as we can ever know truth. Yeah. Well, see, that's, <laughs> all right, you know, now you see where I was going to go. I mean, we'll get there eventually. But, you know, I, like down, down the road a bit, I like to what... <laughs> How can I say this? Like you, it's like a Russian doll, you know, where it's oh, yeah. like, oh, that's not real. This is real. And then like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't real. Oh, wait, this Half is real. That one. Exactly. Like, have you, have there been other moments in your life where you're like, oh, no, this isn't real either. And and then you peel off another layer. Oh, yeah. Huh? I, like you asked what I've filled the hole with. I, t I tell friends that um, right now my ultimate belief is to not have belief. Or, or not necessarily not to have belief, because I, I feel like it's important to, uh, just, you know, for a human being to have something like that. But um, to always leave it open, mm. to always leave the possibility to take the head off of mm. that truth and look if there's another one underneath. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I am, too. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like a certainty of doubt or something like yeah. that. Like yeah. a, a worship of... of of humble acknowledgement of the fact that we can never really understand. Yeah. I also like to look at it in terms of the literal physical world and how the only constants are change. And if infinity is a real, like a reality, I mean, try to comprehend infinity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> you, you know ways, it's you know? there, but you can't wrap your head around yeah, it. Like yeah, infinity into space and then yeah. infinity into, you know, the molecular. Yeah, it, right, itty. exactly. You it know? gets infinitely small and it's infinitely large. Yeah, and everything's yeah. constantly changing. Yeah. So, well, duh, of course, like, like I should have a belief that does that too. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, and the only way to have a belief system that is as f flexible, I guess, as reality is to have it, it always incomplete. Yeah, like there's always, like you could always go a little more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, okay, so b back to your, your story, though. So you, you have this experience. You get married two days later. Did you have a panic attack when you were getting married? No, actually, that, the, the marriage was beautiful. I had a great day. It was one of my, the best days of my life, honestly. I ha had a great time. Um, the ceremony was great, and there was like a hiccup where things didn't get set up, but I, that didn't even bother me. I was just so like elated all day. Mm. And you know, I had, I had friends, mainly my family, tried to tell me like, oh, maybe you didn't have a good 
um, experience in the temple because you, because God knew you weren't meant to marry your ex-husband, my now ex-husband. And I was like, yeah, but why did I have such a great wedding day? You know, why Mm. was, why did I feel so right then? Right. If that was the case, wouldn't I have had the panic attack sitting across the altar from my soon to be husband? You know? Right. So. (laughs) So so the wedding was good. And then, and then how, how did things go? We moved to Kentucky. He's going to dental school and, um, uh, our marriage fell apart. I'll just leave it at that. We don't need to go into <laughs> to detail. How soon? Um, in less than a year. And I, I really think me questioning um, the religion was like really helped speed that along. So you were questioning the religion from the beginning. Yeah, from the, like because it was it was the temple experience. Okay, that never left you. That never left yeah. me. Like there was maybe about four or five months where I had tried to, you know. Hmm tried to like not get too worried and then there's a couple months where I fasted read scriptures and I didn't talk too much about it with my husband at the time because every time I did he would get like whoa like you're supposed to love it like what's the wrong with you um but then uh, when I really started questioning started doing the googling the dangerous research Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh is when things got worse and did that feel like you were cheating in your marriage because he was he believed and you were no no it didn't feel that way for me uh, and i'm sure he felt that way uh, okay um my even my dad felt that way like he felt betrayed and i like i feel sorry about that you know but i it, I, it really felt important to me so you had a higher allegiance to truth than you did to to your husband or to mormonism yeah i guess i did I, I just couldn't live, maybe as a selfish thing, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Do you think that's, where does that come from? I don't know. I don't know. Good parenting? I mean, despite <laughs> being Mormon, I don't know. I just, because my, my parents both have been, you know, good at teaching me truth matters. But to that, to that extent, I don't know. That must be very complicated for your parents mm. to deal with. Yeah, I think so. Do you think on some level they're proud of you because you've been so stubborn and brave about following where your personal path has led? I think so. Because um, I've also done a lot of traveling and explored. You know, I took this whole life-altering experience as a springboard to mm. just experience as much life as possible. Like coming out of my marriage and Mormonism, I was like a naive little baby, truly. For people who knew me back then, they wouldn't recognize me. And for people who know me now, if they were to meet that old me, would be like absolutely blown away. Yeah. Because I I didn't ever have proper chance to explore who I was. I was always the good Mormon girl who I was supposed to be. Right. And so I had a lot of fun learning. <laughs> Do you remember when it happened, when you left? Um, I mean, I don't mean formally. I mean, within I, yourself. Was there I a breaking point? I told you this story before. And I used to not tell anyone this story. I've told maybe like a handful of people. Uh, are you willing to tell it? Yes, I am. I thought about because I thought about this. And um, I figure like, you know, if other people can hear it. Maybe it can help them understand family members. 
uh, friends mm. and just other fellow human beings. Yeah. But it was like I was saying, like back to the whole story, um, months of Googling and crying and sleepless nights. Like I'm not, I sleep like a baby. I was an insomniac during that time. Right. And I, that was the first in my life I've ever dealt with something like that. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I cannot sleep. I'm so distraught over this. And um, me and my ex went up to Chicago for a concert and we came back down um, to Kentucky driving and a love song came on. Why should we wait for this? Motorcycle. Anyway, a love song came on and it just kind of triggered, you know, like crying for me because my marriage was having a struggle. Mm. And then the like thoughts, you know, thoughts lead to thoughts. And then I thought about my friend who had passed away that I had been worried about, like what happens to her? If there's no heaven. This was when you were 16? Um, the, yeah, when she, when she had passed away. And I was like, there's no heaven. Um, so is she okay? Like if there's no heaven? Mm. And so I just started crying over that. I had to pull over. Um, my ex was like, are you okay? And I, I, could, I couldn't talk because I was just so distraught. Um, and then somewhere in the middle of this just absolute bawling, just like crying my eyes out, there was this clarity. And um, I, it really did seem like it was a, like an outside voice almost saying, uh, none of that matters. And like your friend's okay, like, she's okay. Everything is how it's supposed to be. Everything is exactly how it's supposed to be and everything's gonna be okay. And, it, and more than just the words, it was an entire feeling. Mm. Cause like I could say something like that to you and it's like, all right, you register it as words and you can even like internalize it. This was like, yeah. I, I felt it. Right. And it was, it was this clear, like why, why worry? Uh, Literally everything is as it's supposed to be. It's fine. Uh, and then it was just love, love and joy. And my tears of sadness switched over to tears of absolute elation. Hmm. And I probably looked like, looked like a crazy person to my ex. There was this moment where my tears had switched and I started laughing and crying. And he's like, oh, you realize like Mormonism's true, you know? And, he got all excited for me and I couldn't even respond. I couldn't form words. It was, I got taken over so much by this emotion, this power, um, whatever it was, that I couldn't even talk. I could, I could just shake my head and say no, like no is all I could get out. Mm. And just more tears, more laughter. And this probably had like hit like just outside of Indianapolis. And I cried and laughed the entire way back to Kentucky, to Louisville. Did you keep driving or no, do you say- No, I, I, I pulled over and switched <laughs> with him. Yeah, time for me to drive, baby. <laughs> I, I could not have driven in that state at <laughs> really? all. Yeah. yeah. I, and kind of looking back at that, I'm like, whoa. It wasn't until days later looking back on how intense that was and how crazy I must have legitimately looked. Like, but. But more than anything was this feeling of um, freedom. How'd you sleep that night? Like a baby. Yeah. Like a baby. I went to bed. I, I washed my face, got the tears off my face. Still smiling. Didn't even, like, it was like my husband wasn't there, you know? Didn't matter. Didn't matter. And I fell asleep, slept like a baby. And I, I honestly haven't looked back since. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, as you were, you know, as you said, you told me that story the other night. I'm really glad you were willing to tell it here. Yeah. Because I, th I think you're right. I think that'll 
bring comfort to a lot of people in lots of different ways. But it sounded like, just now when you were telling it, I was struck by how similar it sounds to a near-death experience. So many people who have clinical death, right, where they die in freezing water or something, but their brain, they're able to revive them later. What they describe is so similar to what you describe, this sense of everything's fine. Yeah, this is this calm peace. Right. Stop worrying. Everything's fine. And then just an overwhelming sensation of love and being loved. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, it almost seemed like, why does anyone ever worry? Like, why are we always stressing? Yeah. Like, don't they see this? Don't they hear it? You know. And can you, as you talk about this now, is it, has it become words to you, or it, can you feel it? In a sense, it's mostly become words. Um, I, I've felt it since, obviously, and um, sometimes I do feel like that kind of like oh yeah you know remember like everything's chill (laughs) but yeah like it it does it's not the same as when I had experienced it then Um, my earliest memory uh, is of a memory Mm -hmm. well all memories are (laughs) of memories are memories yeah eventually but my earliest memory is a memory of uh, that where I came from mm. was beautiful and comfortable and uh, th- just this feeling of like where I was before I was alive was great. Yeah. Wow. And then as I got older and my brain became more verbal, mm. yep. I felt that knowledge, that memory changing from a felt memory to a word collection yeah and as that was happening i remember thinking this is bad because when you get older you're gonna suffer if you don't remember this wow because then you'll be afraid of dying and you don't need to be afraid of dying how old were you when you had that realization probably 11 12 somewhere around there oh my goodness And then, so what happened was, and I I felt like I'm getting more sort of intellectually smart. I'm reading, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, and and, and my thoughts are are coming to me in words now. I'm hearing my, the voice in my head. Yeah. As opposed to just the, you know, dream feelings, you know, the way we dream. More like shapes and... Yeah, exactly. Sensations and things. And so as I felt my brain sort of migrating more into language, um... I made a real conscious effort, like, don't ever forget this. It was like planting a flag. It's like, so don't forget this. Yeah. Even if, even if the only thing you have left is this sort of empty container that this used to be in, at yeah. least the container will remind you of what used to be in there, you know? Mm. And that's where I am now. Like, I, I can't honestly tell you I remember it, but interestingly, um, the first time I took uh, mushrooms. You felt it again? I felt it. And oh, I was yeah. like, I'm here again. This, oh, this, I remember this. Yeah. This is, this is truth. This is reality. I felt it before um, on mushrooms as well. Oh, you, I was going to ask yeah. if you'd ever done any sort oh, of. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So you you felt that same sense of like liberation from yeah. trivial fears and death and whatever. And a, a sense of a like a connectivity of everything. Right. Like like a giant complex dance. But right. It, that you're part of and yeah. it's always be part of. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Really interesting. So. Uh, you heard this, you, you described it as like a voice. Yeah, but part of me also wonders if I'm, if I like projected my Mormon religious teachings of hearing stories, yeah. you know, of hearing, yeah. like it was almost like a voice. The like, voice of God. Honestly, I reckon it was my own voice. Like, Which with, is the voice, if, vo yeah, if God has a voice, that's, you know. Yeah, it's in us. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if, there, if there's any sense of a God, you know, and I reckon that, if God is everything, then we're part of that everything. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be there? Yeah. You know, I'm always frustrated when I read something about, you know, so-called crazy people hearing voices. Yeah. Like we all hear voices constantly. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I had a woman on the podcast a couple of years ago, Tanya Lerman, who's an anthropologist at Stanford who did um, research on schizophrenics in different cultures and mm -hmm. found that you know, we talk about schizophrenia, one of the defining characteristics is people hear voices, and right? see things, yeah. Yeah. Well, what they, auditory hallucinations are the most common. Everybody has them. You know, you're falling asleep and you hear your mother call you. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, mm -hmm. no, that can't be right, or whatever. You, voices are very common. But in different cultures, the voices say different things. Mm -hmm. So in American culture, we're accustomed to um, schizophrenics hearing voices that say, you know, kill or hurt yourself or cut yeah. yourself or you know all this violent Strangle that baby yeah like, what? <laughs> <laughs> which is why you know we're afraid of crazy people in this culture because yeah. occasionally one will do something nutty and then the, you know they all get tarred even though uh schizophrenics are far less likely to be violent than mm. your average person walking down the street um but what she found was that in india the voices typically tell people uh it's a good day to clean your house or don't forget to do the dishes. They're sort of like just helpful. Oh. Yeah, and I forget what the other culture she looked at, Brazil or something, and I think there it was more like, uh, you know, sexual, like, oh, don't, you know, you should definitely fuck your husband today, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like more sort of suggestive. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like Br Brazilian culture. <laughs> yeah, that's why we love Brazil. <laughs> um, but yeah, so w when you talked about hearing a voice, I thought it's so beautiful you know, if we if we stick with that construction that yeah. you heard the voice of God and what God said to you was everything's OK, everything's OK. And don't sweat about religion. Yeah. Like all those rules, like I had been researching all the the facts, the anecdotes, the history notes, all of it, like none of it mattered. Yeah. Like, why does any of that matter? Did part of you think, well, if it doesn't matter, I can stay Mormon? No. No, it was, no, it was definitely it, the other. Like, to be clear, it was definitely clear for me that the religion was not needed. It was like I had a, a religious experience telling me that religion was not read it, right. needed. Right. Like, this, this is nonsense. Like, you can go beyond it and live a beautiful life. So how long did that sort of rush of ecstasy last? Well, like, I, like, I couldn't tell you. Like, that's why... I, I've been trying to figure it out. I'm like, I know I saw a sign from Indianapolis, Indianapolis and mm -hmm. then some 
time after that, and then however long it takes to get to Louisville. You know, so I, didn't, I didn't look at the time yeah. <laughs> as I but was I, having this but experience. But I, I, I don't mean, the, I don't mean that, that core element of it, more like the just sort of contentment and certainty. And I mean, did it get you through the divorce, for example? Um, so that, that joy and peace, that forced tears out of my, out of my eyes, you know, um, made it hard to speak. That lasted all night until I fell asleep. And then I was peaceful the next day, but no, I was, I had rough times again after that, Yeah. you know, but having that, that knowledge of having that experience, um, helped me, helped me leave and it helped me stand up to friends and family who were like, why are you, why are you leaving? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, this is probably a difficult stuff to talk about. So don't let me take you anywhere you don't want to no, go, but fine. how yeah. hard is it to get out? It's, I mean, like Scientology, for example, it's yeah very hard legally. And um, I, so do you, do you mean like emotionally or personally or like actually like to get out? Like how hard is it to get a divorce, for example, in um, Mormonism? In the, in the religion, I'm technically still not divorced. Uh-huh. Um, that's difficult, but in through law, that it was as easy as anyone, you know. Right. So just American papers. law applies. Yeah. You just go in and. Yep. Yeah, and I guess you didn't have property or kids to deal with or any of that no, kind of stuff. Luckily. So yeah. Um, and then in terms of family and stuff, when you leave, is it a situation where people are saying, well? You can't come to weddings anymore. You can't come to the temple, that, that or is happened. it like we don't want to see you? Or how how harsh is it? Um, it to everyone, it's different. I, yeah. My my family is, is really understanding. I have other ex Mormon friends who've been straight up like tossed out of their families. Banished. Yeah, yeah, banished. Like we don't want anything to do with you. Um, so like when it. It's comparison to that, I had it really easy. Yeah. Where, you know, had a lot of arguments, straight up, like, couldn't talk certain subjects with my family. Had a rough patch with my brother uh, because he was getting married and my Mm. dad didn't want me to go to the wedding because I wasn't worthy to go into the temple anymore. But I still had my recommend and I was like, I'm going. Oh, that's not revoked? Um, it wasn't at the time. Oh. It is by now. Because yeah. the, they have like a two-year <laughs> expiration or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Really? They expire. <laughs> it's like auto insurance. Yeah, you, have you have to have to a sticker on your car. Renew something. it. Yeah. <laughs> renew it. Literally. Like, they say renew your recommend. Really? You can use the word. Oh, my God. Re- renew your temple recommend. Did you know any, when you were g- growing up, I mean, you know, looking at it from your perspective now, do you think... Can you think of anyone you knew who was gay? Oh yeah, uh, one of my good friends, um, the uh, who's actually the grew up black Mormon. <laughs> oh my God, a black gay Mormon? Yeah, uh, if you ever listens, hi Smora, I love you. Oh my God, <laughs> that's that's a dude who's had to cross to bear. To... Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. He's had he's got, he probably has stories. I'll bet. Yeah. And he made it, huh? Yeah, he's doing great. He's good a flight attendant now. And oh, good. I'm actually going to see him this week, hopefully. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. Man, yeah, that's... Are, are there, uh, there must be a large ex-Mormon community. Oh, yeah, there is. Are there, like, get-togethers, or is there a, Not, you know, a support group or something? 
There, there are. I never went to any of those. Like, I found a lot of support online through like online forums, mm. uh, ex-Mormon forums, and right. I'm, sh I'm sure there's gatherings, but it's not like a huge thing as far as I'm aware of. Right. But there's natural gatherings of ex-Mormons. So, natural. Yeah, we're like so Salt Lake City, for instance, just by the nature of it being Salt Lake City, has a bunch of ex-Mormons in it. Hmm. And I have a great group of friends. That's how I know Casey and Garrett, hmm. um, who I've met through that collection of amazing individuals who have come together and like found family within each other. Yeah. You know? Not everyone in our friend group is ex-Mormon, but a good majority are, you know. And I, I found a lot of good support that way. But we never came out and just said, like, this is our ex-Mormon support group. No, it wasn't like that. But I think you know, something like that's just kind of naturally happened. Yeah. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, I often, uh, I've talked about how some of my closest male friends have been gay, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I've found uh, those friendships so satisfying and compelling is that to be gay in American culture uh, requires that you have this moment where you look at yourself and you say, I'm not what everyone wants me to be mm. and I can't pretend anymore. Yeah. And I know I'm going to get rejected and beat up and there's going to be a lot of suffering, but I'd rather be authentic and deal with that than live a lie. Yeah. And so those people who face that go through this transformative experience and they come out on the other side more alive, mm -hmm. more funny, more free spirited. Grateful for life. And that and I love those guys. I love them because they've done that yeah. and, and I admire them for that. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'll bet your ex-Mormon friends have that same kind of quality because they've all faced that same moment. For the most part, I mean, maybe not all of them. But <laughs> well, uh, I mean, but, yeah, but all of them, no, because to be an ex, to leave that belief system that your family, your friends, you're mm -hmm. disappointing your parents, you're disappointing so many people. It's kind of like coming out of the closet. Yeah. Um, it's also, I mean, if so some people never believed it fully, like a lot of my ex-Mormon friends were like, oh, I never really bought oh, into okay. it. Okay, right. Um, but for the ones that did, it's also an entire, and it was for me, like a, a slap of reality. Yeah. So aside of oh, leaving my support group, it, it changed my whole viewpoint of about what reality is. It's like learning that the world's flat suddenly. Like, oh, actually, you've been lied to your whole life. The world's flat. Right. You can sail off the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what? Like that. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty very, radical thing. It's jarring. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so... I think in the nature of that, it makes it easier for people who've been through it to be more open hmm. and less black and white. More skeptical in general, probably. Yeah, but also like, well, that could be true. That could be true, too. Hmm. And so more open as people in, in meeting other people. Right. And then more open in experiencing new things as well. Right. Because they're like, well, I know life can surprise me. <laughs> I know that it can't it can be not what you think it is, so right. let's bring it on. Right, yeah, I've been wrong before, I could be wrong again, yeah. why not? It's, it's humility, really. What were you thinking when Mitt Romney was running for president? <laughs> um, I was just saying, oh no. Really? <laughs> yeah, 
I, I didn't think too much about it. Do you think he's a true believer? Oh, that's so hard to say. I wonder, I wonder this so much about even the prophets and like the apostles and the leaders. Like, do they know? Yeah. Are they really delusioned? You know, because we're told that they like can speak to God. Right. I wonder, does the prophet sit in his holy of holies and ask, why aren't you coming to me? Like, you know, like, you know, I heard a comic. <laughs> I think I, it might have been Stanhope. If, if not, it was one of the comics who was doing the show with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he was talking about the Pope. And he said, you know, the thing about the Pope is he's the only person in the world who absolutely knows with 100% certainty that there is no God. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not hearing from him. Unless, like, he's schizophrenic. You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe he, does, maybe he thinks there is one. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I wonder the same thing. It, it like someone like Mitt Romney, who's so much in the world, he's not some rancher in Provo. Mm -hmm. Like he's, you know, cutting deals. He's in yeah. Paris. He's, you know, Rich he's rubbing yeah. shoulders with the elite. Yeah. Uh, was almost the elite himself. Yeah. You know, he is the elite. Yeah. I mean, he's a fucking multimillionaire. That's true. Uh, I just can't see how such a belief system that's sort of depends on, you know, as you said, like, ignoring the voices of anything that's you know critical of mormonism like how do you how are you an investment banker and making all that money without keying into that you know hula hoops it's amazing what kind of cartwheels we can do with our minds yeah because i've talked to so many brilliant people um my you know i consider my parents as well like intelligent people sure i've often wondered like why why have you done this for so long and um, you know, emotion is a huge, powerful force as well. Yeah. Like, I, I shared that story about having that voice talk to me. Yeah. And um, my my dad has a similar story. Mm. And I've talked to, I, I've told this to you before as well, uh, traveling the world. I've talked to Muslims, yeah. Buddhists, Hindus. And I've gotten similar stories from all these different religions where people hold on to that and they're like no I've been given this truth and for them the truth was that their particular religion is true yeah and so if you have something that powerful happen to you then you're like it's true and I don't need to question anything you know so it, power of delusion is really it's a straight I have a friend strange. who's I, I honestly don't know how deep his beliefs go because um, he's a very worldly person. He's traveled all over the place. He's brilliant, brilliant guy. So mm -hmm. there's no way that he isn't, you know, aware of counter arguments and so on. Yeah. But he was raised in a particular religious tradition. And then when he had children, he returned to it hmm. strongly yeah. and raised them in that tradition. Yeah. And he and I talked about it a little bit. We, it's a subject we kind of avoid, but we talked about it a little. And I remember he said... It's, he just felt that it was better for kids to be raised in a religious tradition than not. It was structure. Structure, respect, mm. uh, sense of the sacred. And I, I, and I follow what he's saying. I think there is, there, there is something very beautiful in a church. You get imaginary friend to hang out with you. 
Like I'm. <laughs> well, let's I'm hope he's a, a friend. <laughs> let's hope he's a friend, because for a lot of people, Jesus, help me out. it's an imaginary asshole who's you know <laughs> like going to torture you for eternity, smiting, yeah, smiting left and right. Exactly. You don't need that imaginary smiting. So okay, so let's move on. So you you have this this uh, transformative moment in your life. You pivot. You're 20, 21, something like that. Yeah. 21 at this point. And how old are you now? 28? Yeah. So it's seven years ago. What's happened in those seven years? You're now a pole dancer. No. (laughs) An escort. (laughs) Uh, I deal methamphetamine. You deal meth and crack. Um, Yeah. 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 People can't see you, but you've got all these face tattoos. Mm -hmm. They look very good. I I smuggled guns across the border. (laughs) Okay. Do not want that wall of Trump's. Yeah, I better edit that out. Yeah, (laughs) edit that part out. No, seriously. So, so you had already studied anthropology. Yeah. At that point, I'd already started studying anthropology. So you finished your degree. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't finish the math. Oh. (laughs) Who needs it? Who needs it? (laughs) Statistics. Forget it. Uh, And then you started traveling. Yeah. So where was the first place you went? Um, the first place I went on my own was South Africa. Hmm. Interesting choice. Yeah. And I met up with, uh, my friend Samora, actually. He's come up a couple times today. Um, and then after that, I got like major travel bug. Hmm. Like, oh, I could do this on my own. So did you do a safari or go to, go (laughs) go to, uh, Kruger National Park or something? Yeah, did that one. That's amazing, isn't it? I've been there, yeah. It's great. Cape Town's probably one of my favorite (sighs) cities. Cape Town's beautiful. It's amazing. Really beautiful. It's got everything, ocean, you can rock climb on Table Mountain. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and you can drive a little north. It's like the, the wine country of California. Yeah. Beautiful rolling hills. Beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely landscape. Um, okay, so South Africa, then you got the travel bug. Then what happened? Um, did a little bit of other travels, but a friend of mine, she goes by Nugget, her name. Uh, her and I sold all of our things. Uh, we had like a three-day yard sale, packed up our bags, got a one-way ticket to Thailand. Thailand, Bangkok. Traveling. That's yeah. a good way to go. Yeah. Because everything's cheap out of Bangkok. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so where'd you go first? Uh, we stayed in Thailand for about a month, or was it two months, something like that. And she took off. Um, she wanted to do some other traveling, and then she also had to get back to work hmm. back in the States. And so we, we split ways and went all over Southeast Asia, uh, made amazing friends, lifelong yeah. friends. Great. And Did you go to Laos? Yeah, La- apparently it's Lao. Lao, yeah, Lao. yeah. I love Lao. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was, Cassie and I did a, like a year and a half trip, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, Lao, Thailand, and India. Oh, amazing. Like 10 years ago or something. And I think Lao was the high point really. Yeah, Laos was probably one of my favorite ones. I spent over a month there. Mm. I had I have some crazy experience. I got dengue fever. I was mm. in a flood. <laughs> I made amazing friends. Luang Prabang. Luang Prabang. Wow, yeah. What a beautiful place. Yeah, really though. Yeah, Vang Vien. Vang Vien. Vang Vien. Vien Vang. I don't remember. <laughs> On the river. Did you do yeah. the floating in the truck inner tubes? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know they've stopped that now. Yeah. Yeah. But they were when I went, they had stopped it, but they hadn't stopped it. Like they uh. shut down most of the bars because it, it was too rambunctious. And looking back, I'm like, no, that's good they did because the yeah. tourists were coming in there and ripping this poor little town apart. Yeah. And being very disrespectful. 
But I barely got to enjoy my time there because that's when I had dengue, mm. dengue fever. So that's I was rough. For weeks. Were you in a hospital? No. Uh, that was probably one of the worst experiences ever, actually. Um, I had gotten a ticket from, I was up in Ponsavon, up where the Plain of Jars are, further mm, north. Right. And I'd gotten a ticket to go, uh, that, I forget the name, uh, where we were just talking about. And it was like, I think a six, seven hour bus ride. But it was not just like, oh, here's a nice road. Crazy mountain hills, like through canyons and winding, like mm. just not fun. Yeah. And I had an insane fever, probably dangerous levels of of fever and the, like I had already boarded this bus when it all hit you know like I'd felt achy and like a little bit feverish but I was like oh, I'm fine get on the bus and it just exploded and I thought I was dying everything hurt every bit of me hurt yeah. at bustling your around your bones hurt and my, yeah, yeah. To, to the core yeah. hurt. and then I had this insane fever and it was already hot because it's in Laos you know like it's tropical and I, I had this point where I, I could barely speak and there's just locals in the bus and then two French people with me and they could barely speak English and I could tell they thought I was contagious so they kept their distance and like they were kind of like rude and off-putting and we they had were French <laughs> I met some really friendly <laughs> French people just but not these, when you needed them yeah these this French couple was very French <laughs> and then so I'm in this truck or not a truck is a van and we stopped at a pit stop and I managed to croak out like please like ice ice give me ice I'm dying and they brought me like a cold water bottle or something I don't remember what and I put it on my head and like it was barely any relief but I literally felt like oh my gosh if I don't cool my head down I might my head might boil <laughs> and I might die here uh, and I made it to the town and maybe I should have gone straight to the hospital but I'd heard, like, they don't do anything for dengue fever. There's nothing that they can do. Maybe How did you know it was dengue? Um, I don't remember. Maybe at the time I didn't know. Hmm. No, because I knew not to go to the hospital. I think it was just, like, the severity of it. And I had been getting mosquito bites, you know, and I heard people saying um, there's reported cases of it were in the region I had previously been. Hmm. Um, some dengue is different. Like mine, I got really sick and I just like threw up and then I felt like I was better for almost a week, but my joints hurt mm. like really badly. Like my knees, wrists, everything hurt. Um, and I just kind of like brushed it off. I think that's ultimately why I thought maybe it was dengue. Cause yeah. I was like, why does my joints hurt? Or why do my joints hurt? Um, I don't remember. My, my head was in a fever. Yeah. <laughs> so what'd you do? You just got I, a room and yeah, I checked into like a little out. hotel and I had sense enough to go to a little store and get like bags of juice and water and a sleeve of crackers. And I held up I, for like three days in the hotel room, dying, <laughs> just in some of the worst pain imaginable. Did you have a bathroom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. But being alone in that kind of, oh, it was rough. That is rough. Made it through. Yeah. I had I had a few days like that in Palenque, Mexico once. I remember 
the reason I asked if you had a bathroom is I didn't have a bathroom. No way. Yeah, and I was in that room, and I, I mean, I could barely, I couldn't get out of bed anyway. And I just remember I had a plastic bag. Yeah. And I was puking and shitting into the same plastic no bag. Way. <laughs> <laughs> it was foul. it was pretty rough. <laughs> And then I just like wrap it and leave it on the floor. And then a few minutes later, like, oh, no, again, well, puking into your own diarrhea is not to be recommended, I have to say. Yeah, no. Yeah. But hey, it's the joys of travel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, OK, so where else did you go? Southeast Asia? Did you, did you go? China. Oh, you went to China, yeah. too. Wow. So cool. flight up there. I spent a month in the north, Beijing, Xi'an, wow. Tong. I had a crazy train ride <laughs> like none other coming from Daytong to Beijing uh, where it was like a holiday it was the moon festival oh no that's when everyone in China moves it's the worst possible yep. <laughs> it's like the worst traffic on the no. planet yeah yeah yep. it's like 50 percent of the population of China moves in yep. over a week or whatever it is yeah yep. it's the travel time yeah and uh i was up north and i had to get back to beijing to catch a flight uh, and i had no idea yeah. that it was this weekend that that was going on and um ended up not being able to find a train and the only one we found was this packed train that had come all the way from mongolia and been picking people up uh, that would take me to beijing and it was like an overnight train and I think it was like six hours, like in the middle of the night. So I would have boarded like late and then like got into Beijing at like 6 a.m. And they only had a standing ticket. A standing <laughs> ticket. Six which hours in the middle which of the means night. just cram on there yeah. and fight for a spot. Yeah. yeah. And I learned about like real Chinese train systems. And uh, oh my goodness. I was the only white person. Um, the, and I think there was one other woman in the car, the same like box car. And she was like some older woman who was asleep on the floor. Right. <laughs> it was so crammed. Like literally if you're standing in the hallway, it was like sandwiched, like how it gets when you're at a concert that's too crowded. Were you getting groped and stuff? No, actually. Wow. It was a really positive experience, surprisingly. Huh. That's so I, <laughs> yeah, that is surprising. It was a great story, actually. So I come in and there's this little office that you can tell like some conductor or some train worker is it normally has their office there. Mm. But because it was so packed, everyone had just thrown their luggage in this area. Right. This little squared off spot. And I just crawled on top of the luggage, like put my bag down and I laid there and I managed to get like a couple hours of sleep sweet on on top of the luggage getting all these funny looks you know and the guy whose office it was eventually comes and he showed no mercy <laughs> he like, didn't speak english but told me to get off it was clear and what surprised me was the entire train car most of them like chinese uh some of them look a bit mongolian like men like older guys like all stood up to my defense and they were all speaking Mandarin or whatever, so I didn't know what they were saying, but they were like yelling at him, giving in his face, and he was pointing, and he like, enough said, like I had to get off. But I had this beautiful moment where I'm sitting, like not sitting, I'm standing there crammed, and I like look down at a guy who is sitting on a bucket <laughs> like in the aisle, and he just looks at me, no, no language needed, yeah. gives me this pointed look, 
throws his thumb at the conductor and just shakes his head like, Who's like, fuck <laughs> this guy. What's he saying? Why can't you stay there? You know, That's sweet. spoke volumes. And then one of the other nice guys who had a little bucket set up right next to the toilets, like waved me over and gave me his bucket. Uh-huh. And so I spent the next like, I think four hours trying to sleep next to this bathroom door swinging up and, and closed <laughs> and feeling a great stench of urine <laughs> wafting out into the car. Yeah. But so happy that I had like this random support from these complete strangers yeah. just trying to stick up for this weird girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well imagine what you look like to them, you, you know? I mean, that's the thing about vulnerability. When you make yourself vulnerable, if there's anyone decent anywhere around, they're gonna mm. see it yeah. and they're gonna come to your defense. Yeah. Yeah, it's and you traveling around by yourself. I mean, that's and they don't know how far you came too. Yeah. They have no idea where you're coming from. <laughs> you know, Mormon town, <laughs> Mormon girl in China. Yeah, I give you a bucket too. Come on, it's the least they can do. So you told me the other night. You told me some crazy story about India. Was that the same trip when you were in India, or a different one? No. So I after Asia. Oh. Yeah, after Asia, I moved to Australia, spent a couple years there. You moved there? Yeah, I moved to Australia. How did you, did you marry an Australian? How no. did you, isn't it hard? Yeah, so for young Americans, Oh, FYI, that's it, under 30, you have yep. to, yeah. If you're under 30, you can get a year-long working holiday visa. Right. And I encourage anyone who might be listening who, who qualifies to do it, because just being able to go abroad and experience life. For, and not have a language barrier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you you went to I guess you met some Australians on the road. I mean they're everywhere in, in Asia. They're they're great travelers, the Australians, <laughs> and they're they're uni before they go to uni. They all yeah. go to Asia for a year. Uh, so you met some cool Australians, and then you went to Australia. And did you know people? No. Oh, you just went in <laughs> blind. I did. I was supposed to go to Sydney and meet up with a friend of mine. You're intrepid. <laughs> You're like a superhero. Or crazy, I don't know. So you just flew into Sydney, and, and what happened? No, I was supposed no. to like I was supposed to fly into Sydney oh. and meet up with my friend Kristen, who I'd met in Cambodia. She's from Canada, and uh, I missed that flight. Oh. And on because I was actually in Bangkok during the time of the coup. Oh. And it was before the coup, so there's still stuff happening and there's like tanks or something like the whole whatnot going on so my taxi ended up being slower and i had to take a train and Mm. uh it didn't work out and i missed it and i had met a pilot who heard my plight (laughs) and he's like you're not gonna make it i'm like i know i have to try and he's like when you don't make it here's my number and using his uh pilot connections was able to get me to Australia, he's like, I can't get you to Sydney, but I can get you to Perth, <laughs> Perth, Australia. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let's yeah, do it. I'll just walk let's from just, there. Let's yeah. just go. <laughs> so I landed in Perth, uh, got a couch surfing, went on couch surfing, set it up, went in blind, uh, got everything, got a phone, got my working number, uh, walked, I have got pointed to go to Fremantle which has my heart, like I love Fremantle, mm. um, Frio is what they call it. And I walked along and went into a shop and I got a job at a record store. Fremantle's a part of Perth? Yeah, it's neighborhood? Like a suburb. Uh. It's like the beach town suburb of uh. Perth. And I ended up spending 
uh, like a whole year there. I mean, really? I split it. I split it, but I spent a good time there. Wow. I loved it. Wow. Good friends. No kidding. Yeah. That's cool. And I used it as like a springboard to do more traveling. Did you think, did you ever consider living the rest of your life there? If I could, I might, but mm. working visas only last a year. Right, <laughs> right. That would and probably require marrying an Australian yeah. at some point. If there's any Australian cuties listening, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Contact me. I'll screen, I'll screen them out for you, okay? <laughs> okay well, I'll, only, I'll only forward the, the top contenders. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like Australia a lot. I, I like the whole vibe down there. Yeah. Pretty, it's almost like a... A lot of what I like about Spain is is also in Australia. I think there's a more of a laid back attitude toward life, you know. More drunken, maybe. There's more, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of alcohol involved, but also like a, you know, life's to be enjoyed. It's not about working. It's not about getting rich. It's about enjoying life and surfing and you know. Yeah, yeah, that that exists. Traveling, yeah. Um, so then you went to India from there. Yeah, I got hired to do um, cheerleading for IPL. I want to say IPA. IPL. International. IPL or IPA is a beer that I like. Um, Yeah. India Pale Ale. Yeah. Uh, Indian Premier League of Cricket. Indian Premier League of Cricket. Yeah. Which is also big in Australia, cricket. Yeah. 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 And South Africa. Yeah. It's a, what do they call it? The... um, there's the colonial, there's a word for it, the, the, oh, the yeah. British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth countries. Yeah, yeah, they love it. Uh, Pakistan also, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so it's kind of like cricket, for those of you who haven't seen it, is kind of like baseball. There's, a, there's this thing like a bat, but mm-hmm. it's flat, and they sort of golf with cricket, it. Cricket bat. Cricket they, bat, yeah. And then they, they call it bowling. Yeah, so the pitching, they swing their arm around, and they... <laughs> And uh, they wear funny hats. The referees wear these goofy, like, safari hats. And, uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of uh, prancing about and, <laughs> and it gets, it gets special fun language. A lot, but it's fun. And, and a game lasts, like, six weeks or something. I mean, a test, what they call it, a test. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have a friend who's really into cricket. I'm always giving him shit about it. It's incredibly boring for me because I, <laughs> I don't understand it. But I find baseball boring, too, and I... I sort of understand that. But yeah. Anyway, so you are a cheerleader. Yeah. So you're, and you don't really get cricket either. I didn't, I didn't, I've never seen a cricket game until the first game I cheered at. <laughs> you're on the field. Yeah. Right. So, so you're cheering like when certain things happen, you had different cheers just yeah. to celebrate the yeah. thing. During a fours and sixes. Fours and sixes. So those are like in the park home Hits. runs and out of the park home yep. runs, right? A fours in the park, sixes out. Right. And you traveled all around India doing that gig? Yep. And the other cheerleaders were Indian girls? No, that's a weird thing about it. Um, out of all the teams, we cheered for the Rajasthan Royals. The Rajasthan Royals, yeah. my favorite team. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love good. Rajasthan. Yeah. Yeah, you've been to Rajasthan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite part of India, really. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's pretty- beautiful yeah um but yeah Rajasthan Royals and all the other teams had it's all white white girls hmm. through and through uh, a lot of so how many British. girls how many girls all together are cheering oh I don't remember because we I lived in an apartment with a bunch of the girls but not all of them on our team were in that apartment see we had three on each 
stage, so maybe 12. So 12 or maybe per I'm team. Too many. It might be like So let's say 10. Less. Let's say 10 yeah. per team. How many teams? Oh, I don't know. I, I maybe I should know this, but So it's probably pushing 100 white women are cheering mm. for cricket teams in yeah. India mm -hmm. at any given time. Yeah. And there's a lot of turnover. So there are oh, yeah. thousands of women in the world who have <laughs> cheered for Indian cricket teams. Yeah, and I'm just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first one I've met, or at least that it's come up in conversation. That's crazy. So when you were doing that, were you, I mean, how aware were you of just how incredibly bizarre that was? Oh, I was aware of it the whole time. Yeah. The, the whole thing was a big laugh for me. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of felt a little bad. I, I fell into this position a little bit on accident. I mean, I cheered in high school, so I... My, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but I was working with a lot of professional dancers who uh, kind of, like some of the girls I could tell resented me a bit. Like, what are you doing here? You're not a pro dancer. This isn't, you didn't go to college for this. You didn't tr do further training. <laughs> didn't go to college for this? <laughs> dance, some dancers, dancers really? go to, yeah, it's a very they, popular major. Well, no, I know dances, but not yeah. to be a cheerleader for a cricket team in India. Oh, it was just part of the gig. Yeah. So, oh, so they were doing Bollywood music videos yep. as well or something? Oh, that okay. on top of it. Yeah. Right, right. I did a couple of music videos. Oh, did you? I wasn't deemed a good enough dancer to... <laughs> <laughs> to do a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty intense. Those Bollywood things are just serious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really. So you, any other acting kind of stuff come up for you in India? Yeah, minor things. Really? I had colored my hair dark before going, which was, in hindsight, really dumb, because they, they want the white blondes. They wanted that. And um, by doing that, my company was kind of upset. Mm. And I, did, I just didn't know. I was like, I just wanted darker hair, like blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just didn't get booked very often. And it was because of my hair. Like they would straight up look at me and be like, no, we want, we want the blonde. <laughs> What's your natural color? Uh, it's like a mousy brown. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's boring. I was blonde all growing up. But uh, weirdly enough, actually, when I was about 21, and I, I've wondered about this, if it's related to everything I went through, when I was 21, my hair color changed and my eye color changed. Yeah, like, and I, I noticed it after I had gone through all that, like really rough life-changing stuff. Eye color changed? Yeah. From I had, what? I had really, really brown, like indistinguishably, like definitely brown. Uh, and sometimes when the light hit them, people said they looked almost like ember. Mm. I got compliments on that a lot. And now they're hazel. Now there's very like a lot of green, very wow. much green there. And I was never there. You know, as a kid, you look at your eyes. Yeah, and yeah. as a teenager, I'm like, oh, let's look at my eyes. Okay. Looking in the mirror. So I knew my eyes. And then someone called me a green-eyed girl. And I looked at them funny. And I'm like, I'm not green-eyed. I don't have green eyes. And sure enough, I went home, looked in the mirror, and I was totally floored. It was just like, it seemed like almost like overnight. But I don't know when it happened. But it went from wow, that's honey wild. brown or not honey like ember brown yeah. to hazel. And your hair from from blonde. So I I never. Oh, so you're naturally blonde. I'm naturally I was blonde. Um, I'd never dyed my hair. Uh huh. And at that point I'd never done anything to my hair. I didn't even cut it. I was just natural blonde long hair, and it suddenly started growing out darker. Which is something that happens a lot for blondes. It's common. But not at 21. I mean, 
like it, it can happen. But really? for me also, it was just it was bizarre just because the eye thing happened at the same time. Right. And it was such a stark difference. Right. Like it, before, it would come out darker, but the sun would lighten it, and it, it wasn't doing that anymore. It was just coming out darker and darker. Wow. I mean, I know a lot of kids are blonde when they're little, and then you know, eight, ten, twelve, somewhere around there, it changes. But I hadn't heard of an adult going through that. That's. I mean, there are shocks where your hair turns gray overnight. Yeah. I've heard of that, yeah. which is really strange. But yeah, yeah, just from one color to another. That's fascinating. Wow. All right. So, and what? So, where have you been since then? When you oh, you left yes. the cheerleading, now you're in L.A. Why are you in L.A.? Um, I just kind of had a calling to me. I did so much traveling. I've been to over forty countries at this point. Over forty. Um, oh, so we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. I You've been in South of, America a lot? No. Oh, you haven't been? So I've where? Been Africa? Central. Yeah, the me Central too. Central America. Yeah. A lot of Asia. Um, I did a lot of the Caribbean when I was, I worked on a cruise ship. Oh, that's right. You year. mentioned that the other night. Yeah. yeah. And um, you were doing, like, you're a rock climber mm-hmm. and backcountry guide and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I'd done, like, that in the back in the past, but I did rock climbing. I was sports on the ship. Right. So rock climbing, there's a flow rider, surfboard. Mm. I got into trapeze because we had a trapeze rig on the ship, which mm. is so cool, and uh, started studying that. Um, right. So you're just bouncing from one thing to another. This is this is something people don't know, you know. And I get a lot of emails from people who are like, "Yeah, I want to travel, but I don't know how to arrange it." And it's all that. Just go. Just go, because there's <laughs> stuff going on out there you don't ever hear about until you're out there. Yeah. You can't plan it all. Like you didn't know, you know, when you went that there were you know, jobs, potential jobs as cricket cheerleaders. Nobody no like idea. goes looking for that, you know. <laughs> But shit comes up and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't know this existed. Yeah. You know, I didn't know I could get this visa to Australia and just and it's easy to get a job down there. And uh-huh. the, the pay is high relative to rent, which it really is yep. compared to most of the rest of the world. Yeah, all, all sorts of stuff comes up. There's I've quoted this before, but I remember when I was in in college and undergrad, uh, a poet came and read to our class. And the only thing I remember is. I don't even remember the name of the of the poem or anything, but the first line was, leap out in the air to begin with and you'll find wings you never knew. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's uh, just always stuck with me because that happens over and over in life. You just oh, yeah. take the risk and suddenly, like you got on that train thinking, oh, this is going to be horrible, but yeah, I got to do it. For six hours and they're spinning And you end up floor, making you know, like... friends and a guy gives you his bucket. <laughs> you, it's like things happen. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I, we, I don't know how long we've been talking, but it's been well over an hour and a half, probably. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you. This is really cool. And I hope you're, well, I don't even hope. I know your, your good karma and good luck is going to continue to roll right along. Hopefully. Maybe it won't. Yeah, fortune <laughs> favors the brave. <laughs> Thanks, well, thank Sarah. you so much. All right. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. 
you enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design T shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us so be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%, two zero, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD, and that's at suredesigntshirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at carseyblanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone, I don't wanna give the end away, but we're gonna die one day. 
body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch won't you let it out to play your heart is in a bird cage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation running from a confrontation wondering what we ought to say <laughs> when everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone It's a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground